A little forward before we jump in. Since the industry is all about word of mouth, assistants feel afraid to speak out, not wanting to risk severing connections and or being labeled hard to work with. So the guest names and voices have been altered in this podcast to protect them from possible backlash. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Assistance Anonymous, where I interview entertainment assistants and get their unfiltered opinions about their work and the current state of the industry. I'm your host, Jack Kaiser, and this week we kick things off with a two-parter where I interview M, a set production assistant who tells us all about her thoughts, feelings, and experiences from working on sets in television and film. M, welcome. Thanks for having me, Jack. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. So to start us off, uh, how long did it take you to break in the industry? I think it's it's kind of a weird term, like, break in. I feel like I worked, I did a lot of, like, other jobs before where I had, like, really high positions, and I always knew I wanted to do something in the film industry, but there's really no way to, like, break in. I think it takes, like, finding one person who's willing to hire you onto something brand new. And for me, I got really lucky because the city that I'm in, I have a lot of uh, female production coordinators and producers who are very empowering and like really want women to be on their sets. And so they were kind of more willing to take a chance on me knowing that I hadn't really done a lot. Um, So I, when I wanted to get in the film industry, the only thing I knew to do since that, since I was outside of the world was to like look online and see if there were jobs at production companies, since that was like the only way that I knew you could work in film Um, and ended up somehow getting a job at a really small production company and i thought oh this is cool this will like open so many doors and then realizing it's like corporate videos (laughs) and so and of course you know it's like this really tiny place and so they're like oh well you should take some classes since you didn't go to film school because like you need to learn how to use a camera and this and this and that so i'm like cool so i started taking classes at a local film forum and they I, i just ended up meeting somebody in one of the classes who happened to know a producer and got a call like months later saying hey like I'm working on this commercial do you want to jump on and like help me out for the day you know and it was one of those not like a really big commercial it was more of like a like a couple people going into a place and doing a documentary style thing which I was super used to since I had been doing this at the production company and all of that took me probably about a year to figure out how to like make that network and once I networked that person and made a good impression she then gave my name to a bunch of different production coordinators and managers in my city that eventually started calling and offering work. But, you know, until I was able to get like consistent work, I mean, it was at least a year and a half. Like I didn't go freelance for at least two years fully hundred percent just because they were gigs here and there and, you know, they pay minimum wage. So it's like, I can't survive off of (laughs) that. Yeah. Starting off, it's not exactly the most reliable job, financially speaking, uh, so in terms of starting out, did you start as a set PA? Yeah, I started as a set PA. Um, I think my first like big commercial that I worked, I was like technically a camera PA because I was like vaguely showing interest in doing that. And the the production coordinator that hired me was like, hey, you can just run cards all day, which is great for me. But since then, I've done mostly key set work. I was a set PA for a long time. It's hard because in the commercial industry, which is unfortunately a lot of the work that I get, which is making, you know, like Powerade commercials and Microsoft commercials, 
you don't really have designated roles for PAs, which is a big difference from the film industry, film and, you know, television. So you could be a key PA and you could be doing things that a key PA would be doing, but you don't get called on the call sheet and you don't get really fully treated as it on set. So you end up taking on all these extra responsibilities kind of on like your own volition and then translating that out to like other jobs that reach out and say like I was a key on this it's not on the call sheet but I was <laughs> so yeah so I've been working as a, a key set PA pretty much since that point I usually try not to take stuff that's not a key just because it doesn't do me any good experience wise to not get like the training that a key would get which I guess in layman's terms if no one knows what a key set PA is I should probably explain that <laughs> I was actually about to ask that yeah <laughs> You're basically like the kind of the head of the PAs. You're kind of just like the team leader and you basically hear everything that the first assistant director is telling you in the second second, which are the two assistant directors on set that keep all the logistical things flowing and you're kind of like their ear and then you make things happen with your team of PAs who might not be right on set. They might be wrangling talent or background, running base camp doing other things that aren't directly on set to help you get things done that the assistant directors need to get done. So that could be anything from grabbing somebody a coffee to keeping people quiet in a hallway to handing out a safety vest. <laughs> uh, we do everything. Everything that nobody wants to do, that's what we do. <laughs> so touching on that, when you moved over to the bigger stuff, say major film and television productions, did you notice that transition? Yeah, there's a huge role difference. As a key, you've got like very specific roles. And it also depends on the city that you're working in and like the types of things you're working on, the budgets. If you're on a bigger budget or even an indie, but it's a film and it's got a budget and you're a key set PA and they've said you're the key set PA, you normally get like, a, you know, like a, maybe a dollar more an hour and you have more specific responsibilities. You don't leave certain areas. You're not like the one that runs ragged doing everything, which I've found on commercials. They don't really care like what your position is because you don't really have one. You kind of just do everything. <laughs> so it gets a little bit more structured, I think, when you get to the bigger stuff, which is kind of nice because I found like on the last television show I worked on, I was a key and it was a bigger, I mean, it wasn't a big budget, but it was definitely bigger than I'd worked on before in television. And I didn't have to do as much running and, and doing specific stuff. And I think that was because they wanted me to actually learn things. Because after all, like being a PA, they say, you know, oh, it's entry level. It's a learning position. You learn where you want to go. And this was one of the first shows I worked on where they actually put emphasis on me learning and like learning what it looked like to move up and learning what it looked like to be a second second, which I knew all these. I knew a lot of these things, but I never had the opportunity to actually like try them because I've always been on stuff where I'm constantly just like running back and forth doing like kind of minuscule tasks that are just it's like you know bitch work so like there's definitely position differences um in like you know you're treated with a little bit more respect on bigger stuff i find which might be counterintuitive but and maybe that's not true of all bigger stuff but how about in terms of workload uh did that change anything did that affect your hours at all well to be honest in all the things I've worked on, I haven't found a huge difference between like the workloads and like the budget or the type of work. I mean, usually when the budget is small, they try to keep you from going into overtime. Whereas usually when the budget's really big, they don't care about that. So on the bigger budget stuff I've worked, that's been like, 
really big budget stuff, but like documentary style shooting, not necessarily like a structured day. I've worked 17, 20 hour days, you know, something with a smaller budget that has to stay in like time constraints. It's usually pretty consistent, like 12, 13, 14 hour days. That's pretty standard. Commercials are great in the way that like you don't, you don't usually ever work like a giant chunk of a day. (laughs) They're pretty short most of the time, unless you're doing a car commercial. A 20-hour workday sounds pretty insane. I mean, most people have problems working over eight. So how was that and what was it like? Yeah, it's nuts. Um, I have never worked a job where I've worked 20 hours in a day. So this was definitely a first. Physically, it's really hard. Emotionally, it's really hard. You go through a lot of Dr. Scholl's inserts in your shoes. You start going like you start hearing like a ringing in your ear because the walkies like shoved in there all day long with people screaming orders. My I've noticed just in the last like two years that I've started having lower back problems just from standing for so long. Because as a PA, you are seen as like lazy or not taking initiative if you're seen sitting. So you're constantly trying to like stand if not lean on things. <laughs> Uh, which is which is terrible it's terrible for your back it's terrible for your body but like it's all part of the game you know you have to like play the game and you have to do all of the weird like strange things like showing up like you could work you know say I have like a 14 hour day coming up or you know you never know how long it's going to be but I may have just worked a 14 hour day I wake up you know say my call times at like seven wake up at like 5.45, beat traffic, get to work. You're expected to get there 10 to 15 minutes early and basically start working. If you're if you get there on time, it's usually frowned upon. Like you normally are expected to get there early, but you don't get paid for that extra 15 minutes. So it's like you're playing this game of like, okay, my labor is clearly being abused here, but at the same time, I have to keep these impressions on these people and they need to see me as someone who's willing to like, wake up an extra 15 minutes early and get my ass here like and start working or you're seen it like you aren't seen as like responsible or you're not seen as you know as hard working which i think is super fucked up because like at no other job is that you know you could get to a job early but you're not expected to start working until like your call time or like you know if you're nine to fiver you get to work 10 minutes early to collect yourself and then you start working at nine it's like you get to work early to start working, and if you don't do that, you're seen as, like, you're not taking it seriously. Which is, like, one of those crazy unspoken things that I'm, I know you know what it's like. And there are so many of those. That's the craziest thing, is, like, you're seen as this entry-level PA. And I it, it honestly drives me nuts when people call it an entry-level job. Because in no way is being a PA an entry-level job. Like, you are expected to have all of these skills already when you walk onto a set and yes it's more forgiving if you mess up of course like it is entry level in that way but like to be taken seriously to be respected all these things like you 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 have to have all of these skills already these people skills understanding a call sheet understanding like turnaround understanding all of these different things before you even walk onto a set which i think it blows my mind that we get paid minimum wage to have that skill set already when we walk onto a set Bouncing off of that, do you feel like you could speak freely about any objections you may have? Oh, absolutely not. No. Like, if, you, if you're if you seen as, like, bitching or complaining 
like everybody complains and PAs are very careful to do it around only other PAs usually because everything that you say is networking and like this whole industry is word of mouth. So like you are, anything you say to anybody is networking. And so if you're spending that time that you're supposed to be networking with like complaining about like your job or complaining about, you know, an issue that you have, people are going to look at you and be like, do you even want to be here? You know, which is crazy because every other position, especially like you're a DP, you're allowed to bitch all day long about how nobody's working hard, but you, and nobody's getting anything done. But then when it comes down to the PAs, we're expected to take all of this shit and, you know, spit out diamonds. It's crazy. And we don't have anything protecting us either, you know? And that's that's where the scary stuff comes in. Sexual harassment, quid pro quo, power, all of these things. That's That's where that stuff starts to come into play. Because this whole industry is word of mouth. So you can't you can't sour your relationship with anybody because you never know who is going to, who is friends with who, who is two-faced, who's going to say something to this producer or this, you know, this production coordinator, this person that's going to hire you. And it's like, if you, you know, poison one of those wells, you have no idea the ramifications that that's going to have on your career and your availability, like your ability to work. So no, it's not. And especially like speaking I hate when people say this, but like, speaking as a woman, <laughs> it's really hard because especially, you know, PAs are usually pretty young and you have no bargaining power. So if someone says something inappropriate to you, maybe best case scenario, you have a female AD or a female producer that you're really close to that you could go to and say, hey, this person said this really fucked up thing to me and I'm, I feel uncomfortable or like he touched me in this way that felt really uncomfortable like then maybe something will be done but what are they going to do fire a dp or like an ac or a gaffer before they fire the pa who's seen as expendable and not skilled like that doesn't happen and so what happens is pas especially female pas they speak up and then they get fired we don't have like financial backing or any other way to then combat that we just accept it and go well Okay, <laughs> moving on. And then those people won't hire you again. I mean, that's the crazy part. Because then you're you're seen as the problem child. You're seen as the one that, you know, is sensitive. And, you know, I mean, I, and if there's women listening to this, like, I don't have to explain all of this. You already know what it feels like to have to, like, go through all of this. But they're not going to fire, like, important people. So, like, I've been harassed and I've been inappropriately touched on sets. And they basically say, okay, well, do you want to leave? And I'm like, no, I want to stay and make money. But then you risk never being hired again, which in that particular instance, I, w- I wasn't. Like, I never heard from that production company again because they probably saw me as somebody making a fuss. And that concludes part one. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you'd like to hear more, part two is available now on SoundCloud and Spotify. And here's a little teaser for part two to send us off. See you next time. We've talked about this before, but, like, thinking about, like, Harvey Weinstein and this whole, like, you know, explosion in Hollywood. And then you get these really famous, rich, like, well-respected actresses coming forward and saying, like, you know, this happened, this is fucked up, there's a lot of power issues, blah, blah, blah. Yes, they were, but 
what I like to think about is how many production assistants were probably in that crossfire that are never going to get a chance to have that voice and all the production assistants that probably all together quit the industry after having those experiences because they're like, I can't work in a field like this. I can't work in a field that is so backwards and still so suck in the 1950s where women were being.